song uh, is from 1937, and uh, we've sung it once before, but there's an echo part when we get to the chorus. Um, so you can join in on any part, the echo or the normal singing part, whatever you find most comfortable. If you have that deep voice and, and you want to sing the, uh, now let us, then you can do that. I don't have a very deep voice, so I can't, I can't do that very well. Um, let's sing this together. was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then a little light from heaven filled my soul, it paid my heart in love, and broke my name above, and just a little talk with Jesus made me whole, let's have a little talk with Jesus, tell him all about our troubles, he will hear our famous cry. Bye. 
at a few folks that we need to pray for this morning. Let me uh, make one more announcement. Um, the women of faith, uh, they're going to be uh, going on their trip uh, over the weekend of September 16th and 17th. Uh, there are four tickets uh, in which some would like to um, uh, sell to one of you folks. Um, so see, four, five, four people. Four tickets. Anything else you want to say? You know what? <laughs> it has been a long time, Summer, since we have shared this pulpit together. <laughs> and I hesitate to do that, no, but... it's fine. Just stay right here. Just stay right here. For support or just for... Let us pray. No, I'm joking. No, no. Um, I'll just stand back and you're, give you the... You're fine, score. yeah. I got four tickets. This year has been a roller coaster. We had every seat filled, and then somebody would back out and would fill the ticket, and then two would back out. So, like, now is your chance. Um, I've even said um, at this point I'm willing to get less for the tickets at this point because for every person that misses out and doesn't sit on the bus, then everybody else that is going has to absorb that cost. So um, this is a great opportunity. And you've, got, you've heard me talk about this before. Um, it's all day Friday. Saturday, they're even cutting out a little bit earlier. So it's not crazy late Saturday night. We'll probably be back by maybe 6 o'clock Saturday night. So you can still go out and party Saturday when you get home. Um, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> It's good. It's a good time. It really is. And you can sit there. You can sit there still and listen. You can get up and dance. You can just be quiet. And again, I just, I am not doing this the whole time. So you don't, I know. <laughs> That's not what it's about. Like I have very, once we get, I just, I gently lead you where you need to go and what time you need to be there. That's all I do. So right now is not what I do the whole time. So we have four tickets, and if you are interested or even think you want to know more about it, you need to see me like today. Last week would be better, but today you need to talk to me, and I'm not going to push you. I will let you know the details, and um, we'll work something out. So it's awesome. And there's, other, there's tons of people from Halifax going from a different church. We're taking a bus. We're going to King of Prussia Mall for the day Friday. 
We're going to a really nice hotel and awesome breakfast in the morning, all day conference Saturday, well, until three. We come home, it's great, you just sit there. That's all you have to do is sit. Sit and eat and listen and it's great. That's it, thanks. Oh. That's it. That's it. I, I was dozing off there for a minute. <laughs> so there you have it. All right, um, now on a serious note. <laughs> Sorry, Summer. Um, let me read a thank you note from Larry Scadden. Uh, as you know, he was in and now out of the hospital. Thank you for your cards and prayers of support. Um, I wish I was in despair often uh, because of my pain and fears. The knowledge that the people of Word of Life Chapel uh, had for me strengthened me throughout those very dark days. I often felt that Job didn't have more problems than I did, but I was wrong. Job's wife was a discourager. Darlene was a daily encouragement. May the God of all comfort bless the Word of Life family. Uh, praise God in whom uh, God whose love is forever. Love in Christ, Larry Scadden. So pray for Larry. He's here this morning, and it's good to have him uh, back with us. Um, also, you see in our list, we have uh, uh, George Westfall, and uh, we've been praying for George, who had uh, surgery last week for a rotator cuff. Uh, I understand that he's going back to work tomorrow, uh, so that's good news. Uh, so keep George uh, in prayer. Also, Fred Anderson. Fred, are you here? Yes, he is. Fred is going in this Thursday for right, a right knee replacement. And I also have on our list Frank Kolish, who many of you know. He's going in on Thursday as well, August the 18th, uh, to have a kidney removed, a cancerous kidney. So uh, please pray for Frank. And then I want to bring uh, before you one uh, young mom. Her name is Lisa Lau. And um, she was due uh, over a week ago. Uh, she's pregnant. But she's here this morning because the baby has not chosen to come as yet. Now she's fanning herself desperately, but we need to pray that the baby decides to come into our world before Wednesday. Wednesday is when they decide to induce labor. So let's pray that um, you know, she wouldn't go that long. So Father, we come before you, and it's a great thing to be able to do so. Father, we know that it is a throne in which we find grace to help in times of need. Father, we are thankful that we can praise you and thank you for all the great blessings that you have poured out upon us. Uh, Lord, we are a, are a people most blessed. And Father, we especially thank you this morning for your son who was willing to come into our world and give his life a ransom. Father, we thank you for the great salvation which is ours through faith in Jesus alone. Now, Father, we do need to pray for some folks this morning. We think of surgeries that are coming up on Thursday with uh, Frank and Fred. We pray that all would go very well for both of these men. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, Larry's recovery, and we pray that it would continue, as well as George. Lord, we pray that as he goes into work tomorrow, that um, this shoulder surgery would not uh, be a hindrance to, what the, to the things he needs to do. Uh, so we commit George to you as well. Uh, Father, we also think of uh, Lisa now, and uh, we know that, Father, this baby is overdue. Father, we know the timing of these things is, is in your hands, but, Lord, we pray that things would move along very quickly this week, that uh, it would not be Wednesday when uh, the baby uh, arrives into our world. But, Father, if that's the case, may all go well. Uh, we just pray for a healthy little uh, child and pray that you would just comfort and watch over Lisa at this time as well. Father, for others on our list, uh, Father, we cannot mention all by name this morning. We have been praying hard and long for many of these Father, some very, very serious ailments and illnesses, and we just trust you, Lord, to do just a great and mighty work. Father, we think of the service tonight, the baptismal service, and Father, it's always a, a, a real joy uh, 
uh, to be able to have a service such as this one. We do pray that the rain might hold off or come earlier so that we can have this service, Lord. We thank you for these that have chosen to go into the waters of baptism to identify uh, themselves with you and other Christians. And so, Father, we ask that you would give to us a block of time in which we're able to have uh, our time of fellowship there at the Ozenbox. Father, you are great and you're a wonderful God. And Father, we just pray this morning as we look at your word and as we continue to sing, you might be honored and glorified in all that we do and say. You are a great God, a wonderful God. And Father, we come before you asking that you might work in our hearts and change us as a result of our time here together. Again, we thank you for your son and pray these things in his name. Amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in hymn number one, holy, 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 hymn number one. someone and make them welcome.
What a time of fellowship. <laughs> a mighty fortress is our God. Hymn number 11. I'm going to ask you to join with me and sing that. A mighty fortress is our God. <laughs>
It's not fair. Tommy gets to stay up until 8 o'clock, and I have to go to bed at 7.30. And he's younger than me. I wish I had his parents. I wish I looked like she does. She's so popular. Man, do I ever wish I could play soccer like he plays soccer. Do you see the new car that Jack got? What a beauty. Must have cost him a fortune. Someday, I hope I can afford a car like that. Why can't you be more like Rita's husband? He's so good at woodworking and making things. Why can't you make things like he does? Everything seems to be so easy for their family. God seems to bless them so much, it just doesn't seem fair. I sure wish I could sing just like she does. You know, someone said that envy is one of the greatest and most deadly sins. That feeling of wanting to have what someone else has. I was talking to Steven Berger as he walked in this morning, and I was talking about the Olympics, watching Olympics yesterday. And some of you are probably into the swimming and gymnastics. Well, there's a station that's devoted just to Olympic tennis. And I watched it most of yesterday. There were some incredible matches, inc incredible matches, where I really was on the edge of my seat. Where is this thing going? There's often times I wish, I just wish, I was able to be in a stadium like that, surrounded by thousands of spectators hit that winning serve, and people just shout and scream. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's just wishful thinking. That's, I don't really envy, or I'm not jealous of them, but sometimes we, we're envious. Sometimes we're just deeply jealous of someone else. Envy's this bitter, this resentful feeling, this strong desire to have what someone else has, to possess what they possess. And sometimes the feelings go even to the place where you hate that person because you believe that they have more than you and even a better life. To see how envy works, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37? We're looking at a series called Sweet Dreams. And last week we looked at a dream by Jacob. Well, Jacob had a son. Actually, he had 12 sons. But the son we're looking at this morning, his name is Joseph. And Joseph, he also had a dream or two or three. Follow along in Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. And let's look how envy works out. Jacob, he lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph a young man of 17, he was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, and that was the name change of Jacob, they're used interchangeably. Now Israel, or Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a word kind to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. 
And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up aright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Were your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bowed to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. As I said, Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was the second of the youngest, and he, the Bible says, was loved more than all the others by his father Jacob. One of the reasons given here is because he was born when Jacob was old. Joseph had a special place in the heart of Jacob. And Jacob would not hide that special love that he had for his son. He actually had this ornate robe, this garment made just for him. And it says that Joseph's brothers hated him because of it. And they could not even say one good word about Joseph. Let's look at this text more closely. First of all, notice the favoritism of Jacob. The favoritism of Jacob in verse 3. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and he made this ornate robe for him. Jacob is not hiding his favoritism. Favoritism, as someone said, is a breeding ground for envy. And this father, who loved his son more than any other, made this ornate robe, this beautifully decorated garment. The King James calls it a coat of many, many colors. And it was that. It's interesting because the NIV Study Bible has a footnote, and this is what it says regarding this garment. It's the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. This was a special robe. This was a special garment. And I suppose that every time he wore it, and I believe he wore it quite a bit, every time he wore it, it was like a knife that was going deeper into the heart of his brothers. As his brothers saw this special robe, it reminded them time and time again of the love that Jacob had for Joseph that was far above the love he had for the others. Jacob was clearly 
wrong in showing this kind of love toward one son above the others. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, Fathers, do not exasperate or do not embitter your children. You know, as parents, we sometimes we relate to different children in different ways. A mother might have a special relationship with her daughter because they have a special interest or a special thing that they like to do. But we dare not ever allow children, children to believe that we love one more than the others. Sometimes we do treat children a bit differently because all children are different. But as far as love and affection is concerned, that must be expressed in equal ways. Children, dads and moms, they can read you really well. And Jacob was clearly out of line in making this special garment for his special son. All that did was just arouse hatred and jealousy in these other brothers. But then notice the dreams of Jacob. One day, and his head was not on a rock like Jacob last week uh, out in the wilderness, uh, but one day or one night, uh, Joseph has a dream. Uh, the dream is mentioned there in verse 5. Um, it says that um, it was binding sheaves of grain, and uh, suddenly his sheaf, right in the middle, stood up, it rose up, and all these other sheaves around it bowed down to it. Now you see a picture on the screen of what it might have looked like. Uh, one sheaf in the middle, surrounded by the others, and these on the outside bowed down to the one in the middle. Clearly Joseph was uh, stating that he was that one in the middle, and his brothers were the ones around him, and they were going to bow down to him. He has a second dream over in verse 9, and he said he saw the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, and they all bowed down to him as well. Uh, the sun and the moon being his parents, the stars being his brothers, and again, what Joseph is doing, the point of these dreams is, is that he's claiming superiority. He's claiming dominion over his family. He's claiming that the day will come when you, mom and dad, and all of you brothers, you will all bow down to me. Now what's really interesting is, is that this will be prophetically fulfilled. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Question rises oftentimes, and that's, was Joseph wise or unwise to share this dream? Or these two dreams? Was he wise in sharing this dream, or was he unwise? All it did was infuriate his brothers. All it did was just, uh, just cause more hatred toward him, which was already at the exploding point. I happen to lean toward Jake Joseph being a bit unwise at this point. Probably wasn't necessary to share these dreams with his brothers, to know how jealous they already were, to know that already he was wearing this coat that stirred animosity toward him. He must have known that to share these dreams would certainly stick the knife deeper and deeper into the heart of his brothers, which is exactly what happened. Point number three, the envy of the sons. Down in verse 11, after he shares these dreams, the word jealousy is used. His brothers were jealous of him. To share these dreams simply poured fuel on the fire. You know, we need to be careful that we don't aid to someone else's jealousy. We need to be careful in the things we do and the things we say. 
showing off a new car, flaunting your wealth, boasting of a promotion, bragging about achievements. Oftentimes we can do and say things that just stir the jealousy in others. So, so what, what can we do about jealous feelings? Because I suppose if we really were honest, we would have to say that there have been certain times in our lives when we were envious of someone else or jealous of what they had. I have no simple solution, by the way. But one of the things I thought is worth mentioning is this. One of the sources of envy is discontentment. A lot of jealousy results from being discontent with who we are and what we have. I want something that someone else has. I'm not contented. I want their money. I'm not content with the money that I have. I want their healthy child. I want her figure. You know, Joseph later on, and we're not going to be looking at that, but he's going to be sold as a slave down into Egypt. And you probably know the story. The brothers, as we read here, they plotted to kill him. Fortunately, um, they didn't follow through with that, but uh, Joseph will be sold down into Egypt. And when he's down in Egypt, um, he's going to be treated unfairly. He's going to be imprisoned. And he's going to go through years and years of hardship and difficulty. And I imagine, I can only imagine, but if I were to put myself in Joseph's shoes, having been sold into slavery by my own brothers, he must have felt at times resentful and bitter toward them. I'm sure he must have felt in these unfamiliar surroundings, in prison, away from home, a discontentment, a, 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 a desire to be able to go back home where he was free. I can only imagine what Joseph must have gone through, through many, many of these years down in Egypt, until eventually he was raised to become the second in charge over all of the Egyptians. And it was then that he began to realize that God had this wonderful plan for his life. He had another dream. And in that dream, he dreamed that there would be, there would be this, this great famine that would come to the land. And so Joseph, being at times wise, and this was one of them, uh, he knew exactly what to do, knowing that the famine is on the horizon. What we need to do is, during this time of abundance, store away grain and save it, stockpile it, so that when the famine comes, we have enough to get us through. It's at that time when Joseph's family, remember, the brothers come down to Egypt during the famine, and they go to Joseph for food. And this is the time when the dreams would be fulfilled. When they actually come to Joseph, who is in authority over them. And they bow down before him, asking for something to eat. And Joseph looks at them. And at the very end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, Joseph said to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And the fulfillment of his dreams came to fruition. 
how could Joseph at this point continue to feel jealous toward them or bitter toward his brothers or resentful or envious when he came to the conclusion that what they did was according to the plans of God. That God had mapped out his entire life. He thought back to the time when he dreamed those two dreams of the sheaves and that they would bow down to him. 30 years later, all of that comes and is fulfilled. He saw the sun and the moon and the stars. He saw his father and mother and brothers again bowing down to him, not understanding that the day is going to come 30 years later when he will be in Egypt, second in command, and be able to save lives after lives after lives because of the food he had stockpiled. And now he understands that God, from the moment he dreamed those two dreams, God had mapped out his life. That his life was in the hands of a wise and good and almighty God who had been guiding it and directing it through all of those years. There's a verse in the Bible in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What is God saying to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, before you were even born, I appointed you as a prophet. Jeremiah, I have your whole life mapped out. You, Jeremiah, you will be a prophet to the nations. You, Joseph, you will be the one who eventually will be able to save many, many lives. You see, I believe that God has a wonderful plan for each of us. A wonderful plan that God has designed and God he's uniquely put in place. You know what contentment is? Contentment is understanding that God has a plan for me. You see, when we become discontented, we're saying, God, you know, I don't think you got it right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really would love to sing well. I mean, I can lead you guys in hymns and uh, stand back from the mic a little bit. I can sing even in the choir and sing a little bass if I'm sitting beside Jim Markle. But, I, you know, I, I, I'm never going to volunteer to stand up here and sing a solo. But to me, one of the greatest gifts in the world is the gift of music. To be able to powerfully sing a song and just stir the hearts and emotions of people. And I would love to do that. But I can't do it. God didn't, before I was born in the womb, say, you know what? I'm going to appoint you to become a special soloist. It's not what God said. He said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet. That's your calling, Jeremiah. That's your calling. You see, I can't go back and say, God, listen, you made a mistake. All along, God, I wasn't looking to be a pastor. I wanted to be this soloist. You know what that does? It just creates discontentment. And every time I see somebody sing, I think, oh, God, you made a mistake. You can't do that. You have to understand that God designed you just the way you are. Now, that doesn't mean I can't get better at singing. I could take music lessons, I suppose, and improve my voice, but by and large, I'm not going to be a soloist. I am who I am, and I need to recognize that. Envy creeps into the picture when I start to want what you have. When I start to say, I, I want to sing like she sings. I wish I had what he has. 
Joseph now, at the end of his life, well, and I don't know, it's not the end of his life, but at the end of these 30 years, he now gets it. He now understands that God had this wonderful plan for him for these past 30 years. God wanted to get Joseph in this position of second in command so he could save the family of Jacob. Contentment. According to 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is recognizing, recognizing who we are in the hands of God who is working out all things for good. You are who God made you. Don't try to be somebody different. Notice the result of jealousy in verse 18. They plotted to kill him. <laughs> now, the jealousy, uh, you know, it fell short of murder, um, but they definitely were seeking to destroy him. They wanted to destroy their brother. That's what envy does. Envy seeks to destroy. If I can't have it, then I don't want you to have it either. Remember Tanya Harding, speaking of the Olympics? Remember Tanya Harding back in the 80s? She did that first triple axel, and um, then all of a sudden Nancy Carrion comes along, her competitor, and she has her ex-husband hire a hitman to injure Nancy Carrion. If I can't have it, then you can't have it either. Envy seeks to destroy. So when we come to the end of this text, what can we learn from a story such as this? We understand that envy has a destructive nature. It really does. Envy has a destructive nature. First of all, I'm just going to mention two suggestions. Acknowledge your envy. Admit. You know, no one likes to admit it, but we need to admit it. Maybe we need to answer some simple questions. Who is it that I'm envious of? And what is that? Maybe we need to just admit, I'm, I'm jealous of Henry's new promotion. <laughs> and just get it out. And then, let me suggest this, maybe you need to apologize to God. Because discontentment is saying, God, you made a mistake. God, you made a mistake. I, I, I don't like the way that you're running my life. I don't like the things that are happening. Your plan for me, God, is, it's just not the right one. And the provisions that you have given to me, they're, they're not good enough. I look at her and I look at him and there's so many other things. that No, 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 you can't do that. The truth of the matter is, is that God really doesn't owe you anything. We owe God everything. When we're discontented, we're saying, God, you owe me something. I deserve much better than this. When God says, I've given you everything. I've given you my son. For God, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has already given you his best. God has already given to you salvation. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that we might be forgiven. So that the debt that we owe God has been paid in full. Paid in full because of the blood of Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. I couldn't pay my own debt. I owe God everything. But he paid my debt in full when Jesus died on the cross. There's a song, an older song. We sang a song back in the 1930s this morning. This one might go back that far, I don't know. I owe everything to Jesus, 
all I am or hope to be. Every need he will provide, and he keeps me satisfied. I owe everything to him. You see, we get in trouble when we start to think, God, you owe me something. You, I deserve something, God. That's when we get in trouble. When we start to take our eyes off of God and we start to focus on others and situations. When we start to focus on others' stuff and other people's skills and other people's status, we miss the wonder of what God has given to us. God has truly blessed each one of us in our own and unique ways. I really believe that God has a wonderful plan for your life, something that has been created all the way back before the foundation of the world. There's no easy solution to envy. I wish sometimes that you, know, you could just brush it off like a, an annoying fly. <laughs> it's not that easy. But two steps get you closer to the right path. Admit your envy and apologize to God because God doesn't make mistakes. Father, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving. Yes, you have truly blessed us in so many ways. Father, we thank you especially for the great blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Father, we owe everything to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hymn number 372. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me. And make me after thy will, while I am waited, waited, waiting, yielded, and still. Hymn number 372. Let's stand together and we'll sing this hymn. So, Father, mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. 
Father, we commit ourselves to you afresh and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. through deserts I need 